Okay, so let's talk about the criticizing part of critical theory. Unlike building something, which is hard, breaking something is actually easy. I had the privilege of participating just a tiny bit in the demolition of a basement. Pretty easy with the help of a few men. Didn't take long. But to rebuild it, oh my goodness, all that finishing carpentry work and sanding and painting drywall. Traditional theory is basically how we build things. Christianity would fit in with the concept of a traditional theory. How do you build law and order? Our God is a God of law. His word is filled with laws. How do you build a family? Scripture talks about husbands and wives, and it has specific things to say to both, as it assumes God-assigned roles for our biological sex, gender identity, and sexuality. What's the best environment for raising a child? God made marriage, and he made us male and female to marry, and then increase in number to fill the earth, subdue it. And parenting? Raising our children in the admonition and instruction of the Lord, according to the scripture. The Bible tells us about the basic principles for economics and private property theory. As not everything should belong to the government. And that stealing something you don't own is a sin. Simply stated, the Bible is a traditional theory. It is about how to build things like families and societies and theologies and economics and le legacies, etc. Critical theory is basically how we break things that other people have built. It is a sledgehammer in the form of an overarching ideology or worldview that comes to dismantle pretty much anything that was previously built in a culture. Traditional theories about construction, critical theories about demolition. Now, because we live in a fallen, flawed world, and everything is built by someone who is flawed and imperfect, that means that everything that is built in our world has flaws. Every organization, every institution, every family, Every discipline has imperfections because it's architected by imperfect people. And even if there were a perfect system, it would become imperfect because sinners would be running it. I mean, that was the case with Adam and Eve. God gave them a perfect world and they wrecked it by acting sinfully. I mean, it's just much easier to be one who is critical of those who are building than it is to actually build something. It's very easy, for example, to criticize a leader rather than to actually lead people. Think about it. It's very easy to criticize parents than it is to raise your own kids. It's very easy to criticize an economy than it is to find a way to generate revenue. It's very hard to do something. It's very easy to criticize those who are doing something. It's like the guy standing in the stands at a football game with a beer in one hand and a hot dog in the other, criticizing the athletes on the field. 
Criticizing fits very well in our modern day of online living. Think about it. You can criticize someone without actually personally knowing them or even talking to them. From a safe distance, onlineers can preach on the ways they felt that a leader could have done a better job. But curiously, don't ever leave the house to show us how it's done. For God is creator, sustainer, and redeemer, who is about building perfectly and then faithfully rebuilding what sin has broken. So, Satan was the first critic. Now think about it. He criticized God. He was jealous of God. It starts in heaven. Revelation 12 gives us this vision, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Hmm. When Satan the critic lost the battle in the unseen realm, he was then thrown down to the earth where it says then in Revelations 12, 9 and 10, his counterfeit ministry is to accuse the children of God day and night, which means that the spirit of the accuser, sounds like critic, is now at work in the world attacking Christ by attacking all things Christian, including Christians. Often this is done through people who profess faith or at least a former faith and have now gone unbelieving, apostate. The cheap access of the internet to assemble swarms of angry people to attack is what fuels those who define themselves by whom and what they are against. That's how they define themselves, which is the heart of the critical theory. What are we against? Let's unite under that. So unlike God who forgives, restores, and makes new, the critic and his critics will dig up anything from the past that was buried with Christ to bury someone with no hope of resurrection, all in the name of justice, which overlooks and ignores the justice bought and wrought by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins. This is because social justice in the sight of man wants nothing to do with cosmic justice in the sight of God. In Romans 1, yep, Paul says that creation around us is an external witness to the goodness and glory of God. In Romans chapter 2, 
Paul says that our conscience in us is an internal witness to that same goodness and glory of God. And because of these twin truths, there are four undeniable facts everyone knows whether they know God or not. Number one, everybody knows this. Something has gone terribly wrong in our world. Technology, media, and social media only amplify this fact as we constantly see the pains and the problems and the perils of life on our planet more than at any time in history. Number two, everybody knows this. There is an urgent global problem that is only getting worse. Paul uses the language of childbirth to explain human history as we get closer to the second coming of Christ. The concept of birth pains seems to be what we are feeling today. Increased pressure and pain that is beyond our ability to bear. Number three, everybody knows this. Something needs to be done to fix our problems and pains. Exactly what this answer might be is the cause of all the blaming, fighting, and dividing. Politicians offer a governmental solution. Economists offer a financial solution. Soldiers offer an offensive solution. Counselors offer a psychological solution, etc., etc. While varying teams and tribes offer differing solutions to our problems, what they all agree on is that something is wrong and needs to be fixed by someone. The fourth thing that everybody can agree on, someone needs to address all the evil, unrighteousness, injustice, and suffering in our world. We all agree that because we were made by God with a conscience. We all reach our limit and can simply stomach no more of our fallen, broken, hopeless world. We want what is crooked to be made straight, what is wrong to be made right, and what is broken to be made whole. The problem is that every single person is part of the problem and not the solution. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 is like is a hammer to a self-righteous attitude and an attitude that we're all good saying therefore you have no excuse O man every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you the judge practice the very same things wow does that sound like today? And the rest of the chapter goes on to dismantle self-righteousness from our human efforts, be they secular justice or religious works, to set the stage for the gift of righteous, earned by Jesus Christ, given to us ill-deserving sinners as a gift of grace. What Paul is saying is that there is a universal human longing for righteousness because we were created by a righteous God and a corresponding blindness to our own sin because of our human sinfulness. This is why criticizing is so powerful and so popular. 
It teaches you to see institutional sin that affects you, but also blinds you to your own personal sin and how you are part of the problem rather than the solution. When sinners sit in God's judgment seat, the critic encourages the following 10 counterfeit commandments appear. Here we go. Autonomy. I should be an authority, not under authority, which explains why I tell everyone else what to do, but will not allow anyone to tell me what to do. Number two, pride. People should be like me as the standard of a good person. And if you do not celebrate me, then you are showing what an awful person you are. Number three, war. I want to win my cause and defend my reputation as a good person, so I will do what soldiers always do in war, by recruiting others into my fight and seeking to defeat you by any means necessary as the ends justify the means. Number four, hypocrisy. There is a law for you, but grace for me. So I expect more of you than me. And if you do not give me grace, then I name call you as mean, unloving, intolerant, bigoted, narrow-minded, judgmental, and immoral rather than repenting of my sin. Number five, deception. Hide my sin. I need to rename vice as virtue so that stealing and looting is now reallocating wealth. Racial stereotyping is exposing privilege and fragility. And rioting is culture remaking. Six, blame shift. Now I am caught doing wrong. I excuse myself by being a victim of your behavior because the only way you could win is if you cheated. But if I win, it is because I earned it. Either way, I am a good person, you are a bad person. This blame shifting is especially appealing to those who want to be in charge, but never made it to the top. Number seven, character attack. I case build against anyone who does not believe what I believe and behave how I behave by providing how righteous I am and how unrighteous they are with some sort of virtue signaling word that ends in IST, such as racist, sexist, colonialist, classist, etc., etc. Number eight, negative narrative. I set a negative narrative so that no matter what happens, I am good and you are bad. All new information is forced into the negative narrative, even if it does not fit, because it must replace the good news of the gospel as the meta-narrative for all information to fit under. The concept of demonic negative narrative explains why even the good things Jesus said and did, get this, were recast as evil. Yep. When Jesus cast a demon out of a man, healing and delivering him 
His critics said in Mark chapter 3, 22, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Let that sink in for a moment. The storyline set by critical religious leaders was that Jesus Christ himself was demon-possessed. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. When a negative narrative is set, no matter what is said or done, it is twisted and perverted to attack the truth. Number nine, unholy alliance. We recruit others to join the fight and defend one another, even if we disagree, disagree with each other. All that matters is having a common enemy and working together to take down our common foe. Number 10, idolize, demonize. Since we are good and others are bad, we are just and good in judging others, be it in a family, church, business, political party, race, or nation. We see the world not as God and sinners, but good people like us and bad people unlike us. We ignore the fact that God either judges us at the cross or in hell. And in the meantime, we seek to crucify people and make their life hell. Kind of sums up what we see happening in our world today.